Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am so excited about my guest here with me today. Kate Laurie, she, her pronouns, is a sex-positive, licensed marriage and family therapist with a specialty in non-monogamous, kink, LGBTQ, and sex worker communities. In addition to her master's in marriage and family therapy, she also has an MBA and is a registered art therapist. She is an EDSE certified sex educator and an EMDR certified therapist with additional training in the trauma resiliency model for the treatment of trauma. She has been practicing psychotherapy since 2003. She co-hosts her own sex-positive podcast, Open Deeply, with Sunny Megatron, has been featured in BuzzFeed videos, and has been a guest on Playboy Radio and many podcasts, including American Sex Sluts and Scholars and Sex Nerd Sandra. She has written for Good Vibrations in Hollywood Magazine and is a frequent public speaker. Her private practice resides in Encino, California. And for more info, please visit her at katelaurie.com. Kate Laurie, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I love your podcast and I, I feel blessed to be here. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I'm so excited to have you here. I've been reading your book and I can't wait to talk to you about it, but we'll get to that. <laughs> how's your how's your day going? How's your Monday going? All, you know, all the stuff. Today is an exciting day because I, I imagine at midnight tonight is when my book is officially po- uh, published. It's published on the 19th. So that's super exciting. It took me five years to do this book. You know, it's a pretty complicated book. It goes pretty deep. Um, so yeah, uh, the next 24 hours is super exciting. So I'm, I'm in a pretty damn good mood right now. Yeah, I bet. That's amazing. I'm so excited for you and for everyone to get their hands on, on this book. Um, but before we dive into the book, um, I do, uh, we all have multiple coming out stories. We all have multiple coming into ourselves stories. And so I'd love for you to share one of those moments with us. I I think I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my, uh, journey in terms of coming out as non-monogamous. Yeah. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll start even with a, a conversation I had before my first coming out experience, which um, I was down in San Diego and I was, I was down, I think I was there to see Sue Johnson speak. And I was talking to uh, a gay psychotherapist that identified as a sex positive therapist. And I hadn't really, it, it must've been, so I'm 53 now, this was like in my early, probably thirties some at some point. And I, I was talking to him about that concept of coming out and I started to cry and, and then I was kind of apologetic. Cause I'm like, I get that me coming out is not as big of a deal as maybe when you came out as, as gay, you know, cause this is an older um, gay psychotherapist. And he was, he was so kind. He's like, sweetie, any kind of coming out can be hard and it's okay for you to cry and it's natural and everybody has their own journey and I'm still thankful to that therapist. I think the first time I really felt like I came out was actually to my psychotherapist. 
And that was, again, that was in my thirties. And that was hard because I think being on the inside, being a psychotherapist on the inside, I know very well that a lot of psychotherapists are uh, bigoted towards non-monogamy, not, and um, even in my, the vignettes in school, when I was getting my MBA, uh, the vignettes would say, you know, Sarah slept with two people, you know, Sarah is promiscuous. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh dear Lord, if Sarah is promiscuous, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm in trouble. You know, so I just learned while I was in school, not to disclose that I was non-monogamous. Again, this is a long time ago, right? This is more like two, you know, like early two thousands. Um, so when I came out to my therapist and she, uh, responded in such a kind way, it just felt like this big grapefruit, this this big grapefruit had been lifted from my body. Mm. And then after that, I came out to a couple of other therapists at the clinic because I wasn't in private practice at the time I was working at a clinic. And again, that was a big deal because it was a small group of therapists and that could have really shifted my career. And again, they were kind. And uh, so it's been a slow coming out. I mean, like I said, it started in my thirties. The last time I came out was just last December. The last person to find out was my mother, who's elderly. She's um, 82 now. And I hadn't, I waited so long to tell her, not because, not for me, but for her. I was worried it might, it'd be hard for her to understand. It might compromise her health in some way, but it was kind of funny how she found out. It was kind of, I think it was my unconscious that really just wanted her to know because I was at the dinner table and I was talking to my my friend Hudsey that my mom loves because Hudsey was very much there for me when I had cancer a couple of years ago and so my mom loves Hudsey and so I just had her on speakerphone I wasn't even thinking I didn't tell Hudsey that she was on speakerphone which is dumb that's like totally inconsiderate on my part all the bad things but I just wasn't thinking I was just like these are two people that love each other I'm just I should have told her and that she immediately was like oh uh, so how is your mom, uh, feeling about your book? Of course, my mom didn't even know about my book. Mm. Mom didn't even know I was non-monogamous. Mm. And, <laughs> and so she, had, so she ended up being, that was the last person to find out was my mom. And she's been completely kind and we're closer for it. So now I'm, you know, completely out of the closet at this point regarding, you know, non-monogamy and all that. So it's been quite a journey. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So far, everyone, I've been lucky because everyone has been kind. I haven't had anybody be cruel or ugly to me um, when I've come out. And I know that that is unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it is because I have a lot of psychotherapy. I mean, my mother was, was, even though I grew up in Alabama, so everything that I am is in reaction to the racism, misogyny, homophobia I saw in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There are good people. I'm not, I, I don't want to throw the whole city under the bus, but there's a lot of who I am is in reaction to what I experienced there. My family are Canadians. Uh, my, so when I was in the household, my mom was teaching me about the Southern Poverty Law Center in elementary school. Mm-hmm. My mom, if I came home and I said I was bullied, she not only uh, empathize with me about the bullying, uh, but she'd also talk to me about uh, what makes a bully. Mm. I was kind of being kind of groomed in a positive way to be a psychotherapist in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was always this contrast be- between what I was experiencing in the home and what happened as soon as I walked out of my front door. 
And I think that has a lot to do with who I became, you know? Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing. It's, um, it's just, it's so, uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording and it's a big note that I had as I've been reading your book and you brought it up again here in your story. Um, it's just this idea of even, even when we all hold all of, you know, all of the multitudes that we each are, there's so much commonality and humanity, shared humanity of like coming out as insert whatever it is, is hard and really scary, especially when it goes against how we were raised. So coming out, you know, uh, dating someone outside your religion, outside your race, outside what society deems to be quote unquote, the norm. It's really hard to do. Yeah, it really, you know, it gets easier over time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that depends. I think for me, it got easier over time because I had good experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. they were very loving and supportive, supportive. And so each time I felt lighter, hmm. um, which is, again, I know that that's um, not everybody's experience. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think the more I came out, the more I became authentic, hmm. the more I felt like I was in my power. Um, you know, there was also a period of coming out uh, when I started to build my private practice. Because uh, a lot of sex positive therapists are still on the down low. Like, I'm not going to ne- mention names, but I know really great sex positive therapists. That if you looked at their website, they look like a very uh, run of the mill therapist. You would never know. They're still they still look closeted to me. In a what, sense. what does that look like? Like when you say like ah that looks closeted to me. What like what are you thinking? Like what are you picturing or seeing? Well, maybe I know that in the past that psychotherapist was a sex worker Mm. or, you know, which of course that's super private, but, or uh, maybe I know that a lot of that therapist um, clients are non-monogamous or kinky or whatever, but they don't mention that on their website at all, Mm. Mm. you know, and, and I'm not judging, you know, everybody has their reasons. Maybe they have well, I'm not even going to guess, but yeah. some, you know, some people have their reasons, but there are a lot of folks that are still in, in the closet. I can't even remember how I got on this part. Where did we, um, <laughs> I well, that I can be tangential. And then I'm like, where am I? Where no, I that's start? okay. I mean, you were talking about, um, when, you know, coming out as you were starting to build your private practice and mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So, so again, so yeah, that's where I was going. So when I started to build my first website, all that, it started out being more conservative, Mm. but as soon as I started my practice, even before I had a space, people found out that I was licensed in the non-monogamous community. I had clients before I had a space. Mm. Mm. I had to boogie and get a space. And uh, I, just, I just very slowly came out more and more on my website. And the more I did that, it just created such a positive feedback loop in my life in every way that you can imagine. Mm. I love that. I love that so much. Like the thing I just, I'm thinking about um, just like the things that are the scariest to us, that like, I'm thinking about me coming in to own my gender queer trans identity, my gender queer, like Jewish trans identity. Um, all of those felt so big and scary and hard. And as soon as I started owning it, like you said, and like cre- putting myself out there, it, cre- it cre- 
has created and continues to create this positive feedback loop of I'm not alone. Other people need this space too. Um, and, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier too, of like, it starts to to lift the shame off of who, who I am as a person is it's like, oh, I'm not the only person who is going through this. And it's, it's like, I just love that. I'm, I'm an improviser. And there's a saying, it's like, follow the fear. Like when it's scary, that's like, you should be following that because that's like, that's how you know you're on the right track. Yeah. It's so interesting how many different places that that shows up. Um, I remember one time I was doing um, a holotropic breathwork meditation. It was a whole day long experience. Mm. And um, my piece of that day was a three hour holotropic breathwork. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but even 20 minutes of holotropic breathwork, some people see visions. So can you say, can you tell us what that is? You're flooding your body with oxygen. And as you flood your body with oxygen, it causes changes in the brain. Mm -hmm. Some people, um, when they're doing either pranayama or holotropic breathwork meditation, some people might just feel better. Some people cry. Some people get these claw fists where their, their fingers will, will shift like that. You know, all these different people have these different reactions when they do a breathwork meditation. When I first had visions, when I did a pranayama uh, visualization, that was just 20 minutes. I didn't know that that was a thing. And so I went up to the, the leader, a uh, guy by the name of Jesse Gross here in, uh, it's in Santa Monica, I think. And I, I was just like, okay, great. You know, like <laughs> insanity is not a good look on a therapist, right? Like <laughs> I was concerned. Right. And, and he's like, no, no, no. Okay. With the amount of experience that you've had, cause he knew I used to do guided visualizations with clients for like four years. He's like, with your backstory, it makes sense that you're seeing visions. And a lot of people see visions um, when they do holotropic or pranayama breath work. I can't get into the spe- uh, specifics. I'm not a doctor, mm-hmm. but um, I will. So going back to that day that I did the three hour uh, um, breath work meditation, there was a moment where you're going to laugh. I was riding a blue panther into the sky and there was this portal that opened up and I got scared and I opened my eyes and I was talking to somebody who had done a lot more experience like that, mm-hmm. um, like that in the past. And he's like, Kate, if that ever happens again, when you're having an experience like that, go through the portal, mm-hmm. follow your fear. Mm-hmm. Don't let your fear stop you on the other side of that portal. That's where the good things are. And so it's just interesting how, following your fear, um, within reason, of course, Mm -hmm. is kind of the secret to things, both, both on this plane. And if you are a little bit spiritual, the, the spiritual plane, and it's just like, when you do that, if you're wise about it and all of that, it can just open up all these different areas in your life that are really beautiful. Yeah. I, I, um, I just recently started exploring the spiritual plane and um, which is, this could be a whole other conversation on many a different podcasts, but, but truly like I, I, I watched this. I'll, I will be able to tie it back to this conversation, but I started watching this documentary on Netflix called surviving death. Have mm-hmm. you heard of it or did you see it? 
Yeah, yeah, I watched um, a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, and it was my first, like, I had had friends in the past talk to me about different, like, spiritual encounters or speaking with people who are deceased, and I kind of just brushed it off as I don't like what is this, and and then once I watched this documentary and really started thinking about it, and then opening up my mind to basically, and I said this the other day too, I forget to who, but like every other narrative I've ever been taught about myself has been wrong. Like it just has been wrong. All yeah. of it. Not one thing has been right. <laughs> so it's a like lot things, a lot of things in this world. I, I say to a good friend of mine, everything is backwards. Yeah. And especially if it's something that kind of the real, you know, like really the religious light right says, or something that comes from dominator culture, like, like say dominator culture likes to say, uh, that spirituality and sex need to be separate when actually when you combine spirituality and sex sometimes you can have like tantric sex mm-hmm. you can have like the most next level connected experience where you just feel like you're connected to the whole and it's actually you could argue the secret to, to a lot of the world's mysteries so mm-hmm. it's interesting anyway sorry go ahead did I yeah. cut you off no 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 this, I mean it's <laughs> exactly so it's what's so interesting to me is like there has to be I feel like um, like an openness to be able to get in touch with the spiritual side of yourself and the universe, but also to bring it back to what we're talking about, there has to be an openness to get in touch with like our authentic selves and like being able to sit in what is authentic to who we are as people, especially when society deems whatever that one or however many things are as like counterculture in a bad way or like full of shame and stigma, which, you know, bringing back to like, you had talked about like Sally's promiscuous, right? It's like, why says who, according to what? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me to me, the coming out process, it reminds me of that quote. I might annihilate the pronunciation of her name. Is it Annie? It looks like a niece nun. I I can't say it correctly. Sure. Um, anyway, she has a, a quote that says something to the effect of, um, and the day came when the pain of staying tight in the bud became greater than the desire to open. Mm-hmm. That's not quite it, but that's close to what the quote, quote says. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when you come out, you're start, starting the opening up process And what I've noticed is, you know, there's all these different ways to open up, right? Like a lot of my clients are non-monogamous and when they start to open up to non-monogamy, all of a sudden they're taking that art class that they had put off for 10 years, or they have this new friendship group when they've been super isolated for the last five years. Like all these other, you know, ways of opening up start to happen that are completely unrelated to non-monogamy, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. just when you start to come out, when you start to open up, when you start to dive into your authenticity, just all this opening starts to happen that is, that you cannot predict. Yeah. And I I think it's like, it's so beautiful. And I I can also imagine it being overwhelming for folks Um, of like, one of the things that I, I, I like think about a lot is I used to drink to self-medicate. I'm almost two years sober now, but before that it was like, all I would do was like numb and hide. And especially when I was like denying myself starting testosterone because I was too afraid of what that would 
what it would be to live in like an, the actual way I wanted to live. It just was, it, that felt so hard, but it's like, now that I'm, I push through those fears and I'm on the other side, like we were talking about it, everything feels, I feel everything so much more, which can be overwhelming sometimes. Cause it's like, everything I'm feeling now is not hidden. It's not medicated. It's, I mean, authentic. It's right now, <laughs> you know, is that making sense? So it can be a lot sometimes. Absolutely. And I think I was listening to another episode that you recently had on this, on this podcast, and you're talking about the same thing, but slightly through a different lens. I think, you know, when you're opening up and you're concurrently uh, becoming, you know, you're in the waking up process. I hate mm-hmm. the term because obviously it's a, a journey, right? And, and a lot of people, specifically in the United States, you know, or probably all over the place, they're waking up, but they're not upping their coping skills concurrent mm. with how awake they are. Yeah. And so they're just feeling like this raw nerve or, you know, and along with waking up, they're more aware of their traumas and, you know, they're more aware of other people's pain, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think a lot of times people think, well, if I start to wake up that the waking up will help heal me and there's some truth to that, but there's also the aspect that I'm talking about. And I I have come to the place where more and more I'm saying to people and saying to myself, because that's where it started, where I was like, oh my God, I need to up my game. If, oh, you know what it feels like? It feels like going to the next level of the video game. Mm. You know, when you go to the next level of the video game, there's, there's, new benefits there, but there's also new challenges. And if mm-hmm. you don't up your game to, to that level, the video game, you'll either get killed or uh, that sounds ugly when I'm comparing it to real life, <laughs> but, but uh, you, you'll probably get knocked back down to the earlier uh, level of the video game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a really good I, metaphor. I, I think we're all, I, I know I am. I, I think we're all trying to figure out how to up our coping skills to a whole new level, given how aware we're becoming the ones of us that are committed to that. Yeah. Yeah. And it can, yeah, it's just, it can be so overwhelming. So I, I, I wish for everyone to have the the coping skills and the patience and the access to the support that they need, because it, it is a lot to hold. Yeah. And I think for folks that are lucky enough to be in big cities like Los Angeles and New York, there's so many different types of healers and philosophy. I mean, we have a lot more access to different people that can help us, especially mm-hmm. if we, you know, if we have, um, if we have the resources to utilize them, but e- even in, in, in New York, we, even if we don't have a lot of money, there's still a lot of resources here that you can get for free or, or for cheap. Um, for folks that are really awake in the middle of America somewhere down in Alabama, I get concerned for them, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but at least we have the internet where you can find private groups that will support you and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The internet definitely has its perks um, in that sense of finding community and support. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, I want to go back to, to you, you know, as you were coming out as non-monogamous, I'm curious, like what, what sparked the thought of, oh, maybe this is who I am. Like, how did you know that that was something that was part of who you are? (laughs) Okay. So, um, do you mind, do you mind if I'm a little bit (laughs) long-winded? Not at all. (laughs) Um, okay. 
So um, let's see, where do I want to say, where do I want to start? So um, before, so I, when I was younger, I had an 11 year monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I had a 13 year non-monogamous relationship and marriage. And so um, towards the end of my 11 year relationship, you know, what's funny is one of the things that spurred me to make a huge change in my life was the movie Fight Club. I realized really? that, at, and this was before I was a therapist, I realized that I was similar to the Edward Norton character, that I was just like going to the mall to get some quick fix and that, you know, maybe my BB top defined me somehow, you know, I watched that film and I was like, this is my, I remember my physics teacher in high school said, you guys are the cream of the crop. You guys are going to do amazing things in life. And when I realized I was an Edward Norton character, I was like, this is not what she was talking about. And there was some other things that happened in my life. Um, but a little bit after that, I just kind of took down my life. I ended my 11 year relationship. I, I had gotten an MBA. I was working in the business world. I quit that whole career, moved out of Colorado. I went back to Alabama for a little bit to take some art classes, applied to the um, art therapy program at, in, in uh, Los Angeles, moved out here. Within a year, I met... Uh, my now ex-husband that I was with for 13 years, we were together for um, not even a month. And we had shared some stories about how in the past we had cheated a little bit and that kind of thing. And, um, and we had joked about like, what if we had a once a year hall pass? Like, who would it be? You know, he's like, maybe Angelina Jolie, you know, like this kind of joking. And now I can look back and see how everything was leading up to it. But one mm-hmm. day, and it was when I, I was working uh, like three jobs. I was in the master's program. I was the, one of the main jobs. I was working with children that were um, coping with sexual abuse. You know, um, my life was very intense. And that day I came home and there was a picture of a woman with her legs spread and she was nude on the computer screen. And he was looking and I don't have a problem with pornography or anything you know he and he turned around he had this mischievous glee look on his face and this is a man that I came to know he knows how to manifest dreams Hmm. like he he knows how to make things that sound ludicrous actually happen I didn't quite know that about him at that point but he looks at me and he goes I have an idea And I was really nervous about it first. When he told me his idea, he had talked to Sadie Allison, the sex educator. And he said, I'm really in love with this gal that I just moved in with. And I don't want to cheat on her. Like I've cheated on people in the past. What do I do? And she's like, why don't you try non-monogamy? And so he said it to me. And at the time I was a scared one. I'm like, people might find out and it might ruin my career. I didn't know about Janet, Janet Hardy and the ethical slut or anything of that nature. Mm. I had just been in LA for a year and he's just like, let's try this thing. It will be great. And I was just like, this might ruin my career. You know, what if my mom finds out like all these things? And he was really sweet about it. He's like, why don't we just meet some people? We don't have to do anything that we don't want to do. You know, I love you. I prioritize you. And that was the beginning. And then over the course of that 13 year relationship, we were every type of non-monogamous you can think out, think of. We started out kind of in the swing community in the middle. We were kind of a hybrid between a swinger and Polly. And then towards the end, we were Polly. Uh, and I'll share one little story briefly. The first year was rough. Like we didn't know how to meet the kind of people we vibed with. 
And I said to him, why don't we just go to an event? I think we can, if you just allow me to talk to people in person, I think I can get us kind of connected with people that we vibe with. And, uh, (laughs) and so we went to this little bar. It was kind of a dive bar that um, the the swing community had just taken over Mm. that night. And immediately when I walked in, I just saw how the women, the, the women in the room were just like, so they were so in their power. I was still fighting with a whole bunch of stereotypes. Cause again, this is 2003. It was way different back then. Mm-hmm. And I just saw how much they were in their power. And I remember at one point, Richard, my now ex said to me, he goes, you see that couple over there? That's the kind of couple I wish we could know. And they looked amazing. And he went to the bathroom and when he came back out, I was dancing around the pole with the wife in that situation. Um, and we ended up going home with them. That was the first, that, yeah. I mean, again, we were very uh, new to all of this. And I remember him saying, I'm not going to reveal who this person was, mm-hmm. but I remember my husband, he had this little joke where he, if somebody looked like a celebrity, he, he'd be like, oh, look, it's, Robert Downey Jr. when it so wasn't him. It was just someone who favored him. Mm-hmm. And I'm, instead of saying the person's name, I'm just going to say Batman. You know, my mm-hmm. husband's like, oh, it's Batman that we're going home with. And I'm like, no, that is Batman. And my mm-hmm. husband's like, what? And I'm like, did you see how a lot of people were, you know, he, this was a place, again, you know, the swing community, it kind of skews heteronormative. I was just like, at this particular party, men wouldn't be buying him drinks, mm-hmm. you know? Anyway, uh, so that, <laughs> that really opened up our journey towards, um, starting to be able to find what we wanted on our non-monogamous path. And it was kind of fun because that particular guy that we went home with and his amazing wife, he was on the cover of my teen beat magazines when I was a kid. Wow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of fun. But, um, but, but along the, the way of my non-monogamous journey, you know, I discovered a lot more things about myself. I discovered that I was not just kinky, but switchy. And I discovered more and more how I liked, you know, other genders and like all these other things, all these, this other types of blossoming happened mm-hmm. over that, you know, over that time, it was a time of rapid growth. Yeah. And do you think that your coping mechanisms were keeping up with your rapid growth? Oh, Lord. Um, Well, I would never. A lot of the things in the book that I wrote Mm -hmm. were honest. My book that I wrote is for for everybody, but it certainly is for 30 year old, 30 something year old me. Mm -hmm. It's the book I wish I had, Mm -hmm. you know, and so and my ex-partner, although in a lot of ways he was a male muse and he was a lot of the things that I've grown to be, I would attribute to, to uh, his inspiration. Like he could see my potential even before I could, mm. but he also was the kind of muse. It's kind of like a bull that you're tied to the end of dragging you through a China shop a little mm. bit. You know? yeah. It's like not gentle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and so um no, I did not have the resources I needed to have, but because I had such a rough ride and, and it was, it was all the highs and all the lows. We had a million amazing experiences together as well. 
mm-hmm. but there was a lot of rough moments, but all of that, all the good, all the amazing and all the pain led me to, to be where I am as a therapist. I would not be able to help the range of people that I help if I had not gone through such a range of experiences. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's powerful to hear an example of, you know, someone going through something just like I'm imagining, you know, being dragged through a China shop. Um, you're being able to turn that into a positive um, is really spectacular. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and granted along the way, I was also surrounded by, you know, a lot of amazing therapists and a lot of resources, but it just was a situation where I was resourced in a certain way, but I didn't have the resources that I need that were specific to non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I didn't have resources. Mm-hmm. And I certainly have always, I, I would like to say that I'm a pretty damn strong person with a lot of internal resources. Um, I just didn't have what I needed specific to non-monogamy. Yeah. So, so yeah. So let's talk about your book called Open Deeply coming out. Well, by the time this podcast hits the the airwaves, it'll have been out for like two days. <laughs> so Open Deeply. So I um, am reading it. I full disclosure did not finish it, but I am reading it and I'm enjoying it. And something that keeps sticking out to me um, is that it feels like you said this book is for, for a- anyone. And I think it's true. It's just, it's basically like the way that I'm, what I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling a little bit. It's just, it's like how to be a decent human being in a relationship, like how to have compassion for yourself and for your partner and how to listen to your body, how to have honest communication. Like to me, it's like, that's for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But, but let's face it with, if you're in a community that's different than the norm, Mm -hmm. uh, we don't get as much good stuff. Right. Yeah. So I've had monogamous people be like, but these things would benefit us. Why aren't you talking to us? I'm like, Mm -hmm. cause you guys already have a million books about how to do uh, a monogamous loving relationship. Well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) why do you need another book? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you everything in this book, you know, there's vignettes all the way through this book. It's mm-hmm. all through a non-monogamous lens. And I, I wanted to write something that uh, met as much of a range as I can from, mm-hmm. you know, so if you look at a lot of books on non-monogamy, uh, the ones that try and meet everybody tend to be kind of one-on-one books. And the ones that do a deep dive tend to be like either for swingers or for poly. Whereas this book, as much as I could, is for everybody. And it's a huge deep dive into neurobiology mm-hmm. and attachment theory and how these things, like if you're depressed, how does that affect your non-monogamous relationship? If you're dating someone with narcissism in a non-monogamous relationship, how does that play out? If you're getting triggered in your non-monogamous relationship, how do you ground yourself? How does your partner ground you? What is a communication style that will work within your non-monogamous relationship? I mean, briefly on that, Mm -hmm. there's all these different communication models out there, right? Like there's the Imago dialogue and nonviolent communication. None of them say, oh, by the way, if you're dysregulated in your body, if you're low-key triggered, none of the following is going to work for you. So I created a, communi- a c- communication model that interweaves grounding all the way through and talks about how to take a pri- proper time out and all that kind of thing. Uh, 
because that's that's so important, especially within non-monogamy, because we get our attachment injuries that aren't healed. They get triggered more than in a monogamous relationship because there's more players involved. Mm-hmm. And so having a communication method that also incorporates grounding all the way through is is so crucial within non-monogamy just because of that fact that we very likely are getting any unresolved attachment injuries hoped at a lot more, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for explicitly naming, um, like the, like the providing a resource to the like non-dominant culture of like, why do you need this? Cause you know, that, that comes up a lot in, um, I do a lot of, um, LGBTQIA, uh, and, uh, like uh, DEI trainings and have like a lot of one-on-ones and I get the question all the time of like why aren't allies part of this um, acronym or why why is there a gay pride why isn't there a straight pride and all of that it's like you you have it all that's why (laughs) you know so thank you for thank you for applying it to this that makes a lot of sense to me yeah yeah and and granted you know it's like although I spent five years on this book and uh, you know I hired a lot of people to like help me to craft this book and and all that well, I will say that I worked on this book and did six drafts of it before I brought anyone in mm. it's all me, but then I brought in development a developmental editor to help me take my rough diamond into a a smoothed out diamond that kind of thing mm-hmm. but um yeah. What was I going to say? I just spaced. Um, one thing that I will say, although I, I spent all that time it, and I wanted it to meet everyone. Let's, let's talk about say gay people that are gay and non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. Like if I was writing a non-monogamous book just for, for men that are gay based on the clients that I've had, when my, when my clients come in that are gay they don't use words like polyamorous and swing lifestyle. Like a lot of the terminology, they, they don't use any of that. They just tell me what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I was writing a, 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 a book strictly for the gay population, which I think there's somebody better to do that than me, obviously, you know, um, it would sound a lot different, mm-hmm. you know, or if I was writing a book strictly for people that were living um, in a poly household that we're doing kitchen table poly, poly where they're anytime they have a conversation, they literally not just figuratively are around are all grouped together, having a conversation, it would be a different book. So mm-hmm. there's, there's, it's not going to meet everybody's needs. And I say, right in the introduction, I say the reason a lot of times it's a in the vignettes is a conversation with two people it's just to simplify things because I'm covering so much territory. And also because in my practice, no matter if you're living in a house with five people and raising the kids together or whatever your configuration is, when you come into my practice, people choose to come in e- either as an individual or as a couple. Mm. So my whole cycle of information that come, you know, my whole feedback loop is dealing with an individual or a couple regardless of what's going on at home. And so Mm -hmm. that's why the book is kind of framed that way. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, There were, uh, there was a a quote in there that really stuck out to me and I'm hoping we can talk, talk through it a little bit. Um, 
It says, uh, it was in the beginning part. Don't you owe your partner the very basic gift of revealing your true self? They have consented to love you and be with you. And it's not a true consent if they don't fully know the real you. And which is like very, that, that's, that struck me because um, I, I'm wondering, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. I should have thought of how to ask this before this moment, but um, I don't know. I guess it's because a lot of times people don't even know what they don't know. And so is it, is it, you're not consenting if you don't know, or is it only if you aren't, if you are aware and aren't sharing, or I just would love to like dig into that with you a little bit, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's, I appreciate you bringing that up. And and I think this book is going to be like that. I think mm-hmm. there's going to be all kinds of things that I'd say that maybe could have been said better or differently that I could sit there and argue with the exact thing that I said. Um, I, I think, um, I think it depends for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. It depends. Um, I, I think in my own experience, I have been with people where I, you know, I had, you know, they were a lover and I went along and had all these experiences, but they were hiding key parts of what was going on with them. And they knew, and it was conscious Mm. and they were Mm. kind of leading some kind of secret life, you know, and I wouldn't have consented to certain, you know, I wouldn't have had sex with them, blah, blah, blah. If I had known some of the things that were going on. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's an example where I think, yeah, you can, you know, you can choose to be more authentic. But yeah, I mean, you make a good point that, you know, sometimes a person just isn't ready to reveal things. And obviously it's more nuanced than, um, I mean, this is a whole conversation that we can open up of Mm -hmm. when, when is, um, at at the end of the day, my book is all about compassion, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so even with, I wouldn't want anyone to take something that I said within the book in an, in a, in a way that wasn't compassionate. Mm-hmm. So I certainly, if somebody told me that they had not disclosed something to their partner yet, I would, I would never be shaming them about that. Mm-hmm. But I might open up a discussion about like helping them find out what is compassionate to all parties in, involved, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I think that one gets really tricky and I can see how somebody might take that sentence the wrong way when you, when you read it out loud like that. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, I, I didn't mean it to uh, sound like a shaming sentence. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, the first time I read it, I didn't, I didn't read it that way. And when I was looking over my notes, I read it the second time through, I read it and I was like, oh, this is hitting me differently the second time I'm reading it. Yeah. But I, but I think that, um, like you're saying, it's all about compassion. And I'm like, I'm looking through the notes too, that I have here of, um, and this, this is maybe, a, maybe a stretch, but I don't think so. You wrote something along lines of like mistakes happen, but deeper intimacy is often found within the repair. And so I just feel like, and I tie that also to like cancel culture of like, if we're going to cancel everyone off one sentence without having compassion or hearing what they have to say, or them taking accountability or see, or that, how you talked about how you were, um, you know, taught to like, look at the bully with empathy. It's like, well, what well, makes a bully, right? I mean, just it all, it all seems to tie together of like, what's the, 
intent, what's the impact and understanding like the impact actually is what matters more, but how do you show up in those moments? So I, I didn't mean to get you in your head about your book. I, I love it, but that was just, a, a, a Oh no, I, I, a, I think this is the kind of book, you know, I, how should I put it? I didn't play it safe in this mm. book. I tried to write something that came from a place of compassion and love. There's going to be people that really dig this book. There's going to be some people that get pissed about it and it's yeah. going to, I have the feeling it's going to create a lot of conversations. And, and I realize that mm. I, I, I realize that. And so, you know um, and I welcome like, like what you're doing is you're bringing up something that could land in a different way than what I intended. And you're giving me a chance to talk about it. And I, and that's a, actually a love gift. That's mm. actually super kind um, versus somebody just taking it, interpreting it and going off to the rails, just ripping me a new asshole, mm. you know, and they, they never give me a chance to, to talk about it, you know, or express, um, you know, the, that I didn't mean it in a shaming way, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, yeah life is messy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's, I mean, I can just say for me personally, if I had some kind of secret that would impact my love, you know, I would, but I wasn't ready to tell them I would struggle with that. But at the end of the day, you have to, it's more complicated than that. You have to wait until you're in a grounded enough place to handle disclosures. And if you disclose too much too soon, when you're not ready for it, that's going to cause more damage um, than anything else, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so you have to look at where you're at and what your circumstances are. You might be in a, in a town where if you were to come out when you weren't ready or to express a truth that you weren't ready to express, you, you could have a lot of harm come towards you, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I would just, I would never want that for somebody. It's like, you know, I, I guess, you know, I meant it through the lens of, you know, somebody who is not in that kind of position, you know, where maybe they have a secret and that, that would be a game changer for their partner. And they're just maybe holding, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's not going to cause any kind of dire impact to them to disclose it. Right. 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 You know? And and like we said at the beginning of this said this uh, episode, it's like the more you become authentic, the more you tend to blossom, mm-hmm. and the more people blossom around you. you know? Yeah, and I think too, part of back to what you were saying too about, um, you know, like the the feedback loops, and like you've had such, you know, like positive experience in sharing parts of yourself that gives you the information to like to keep doing that, and on the same token, like. I, there were a few times with exes where I've talked, I talked about wanting to start tea and was, and was immediately shamed by that partner where Mm -hmm. it's like, that is like, you know, well, first of all, it's terrible, (laughs) but second of all, it's, um, it gives, it gave me the information then like, okay, like henceforth with partner, don't share this because I will be shamed and you know, whatever it might be. And so I think that, yeah, it's just, it's a nuanced thing of what, what other experiences are, are you, are like building the foundation for the information you have to then, then communicate with the next person. Right. 
I completely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, one thing that's interesting about writing a book is you get it to us like that one. I didn't even catch that. Like, I didn't even catch that until you said that. And if I could rewrite that sentence right now, I, I would, mm. you know, to, to make it more finessed so that uh, my intention, the people understood my intention and didn't misread what uh, I meant. But it, it's funny when you're writing a book, at least this is my experience with my publishers and everything. You reach a point where they don't want you to kind of like, they don't want you to rewrite a particular part after they've done a whole bunch of editing. It's almost like if you've done a surgery and you've stitched it up mm. and you're asking to open up the stitching again, it, you know, that's, that's how, that's kind of the pushback you get when you're at a certain point. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah, I mean, right now there's places in the book that I would rewrite, you know? Um, yeah. And, I mean, um, yeah. I've, I've never written a book, but I, I mean, I write pieces for uh, websites and pu- publications and such. And even, even posts on social media, I reread dozens of times. It's like, is this the sentence? Is this how I want it to land? Is this how I want it to land? And it's like, and even after it's been posted for 24 hours and then I'll read it again, I'm like, how did I not see this yesterday? <laughs> so I'm totally yeah. with you. I can't imagine what it is to then now have a book that's out there. Um, but again, yeah. it's all about compassion of like, okay, you know, I do it differently next time. And here's, and here's why, or, you know, what have you. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll have to say leading up to beginning to write this book, the, again, I'm, I'm a little, I'm very science-based, but I'm also kind of spiritual woo woo. The, the universe was never louder about anything hmm. in my life as it, as it was about writing this book. And it hmm. showed up in a bazillion different ways. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that one person is supposed to read it. I don't know if it means that a certain faction of people are going to read it, hate it, and then create a a book that changes the world. Or, or, you know, I have no idea why. All I know is that everything pushed me and pulled me towards writing this book all the way through. And uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens, you know, but yeah, it, it could be that other wonderful academics or sex positive people read it and they're like I can do better and they like mm. or I can do something in response to this there's something that like takes us further and even better you know and that that's great too I mean it's probably I'll probably get butt hurt a few times but you know <laughs> yeah I, I think it's hard I mean speaking from someone who I've been talking about and advocating ar- around gender queer non-binary trans identity for almost 10 years which is not you know, in the grand scheme of the universe, not a long time, but in the grand scheme of what conversations are now around trans and non-binary, it, that, that feels like um, pioneering a little bit. Um, and like, it's hard to be in that position of putting things out there that people are really dead set against not wanting to believe is true, not wanting to believe um, should be there without shame attached to it. Um, all of which is to say like this book is so important and it I believe it is just like the beginning of many conversations but it's hard to be in like the first not not that this is the first book about non-monogamy but you know what I mean like this because it does reach such a a, um, swath of people I don't know it's just all of that is to say I'm with you I I know I know what you mean (laughs) yeah yeah I I, you know as this book was heading towards publication and now it's what 
like less than 12 hours away that it'll be published. I, I reached out to Janet Hardy, which wrote The Ethical Slut, and she's always been super kind to me. And I just said to her, you know, because she wrote that book, what, eight, nine, 98 or something like that, mm-hmm. that that book came out. Um, and The Ethical Slut, if you look at the sexuality list on Amazon, it's still, it just stays in the top five. Mm-hmm. It's over 20 years old. That's crazy pants. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wrote to her and I, I said to her, I said, can you kind of let me know, like, have people been kind to you Hmm. related to that book? And she said, you know, Kate, at the beginning, there was a few people that weren't really nice to me, but on the whole, everyone has been really kind to me um, regarding that book. And um, the people that haven't are people that I don't really know, but the people that I love and care about have always been kind to me, Hmm. you know, and then we had a a bigger conversation, but, you know, um, yeah, you just never know when you put something out there into the world. Um, and you just have to hope that at the end of the day, there's more good that comes out of it than than bad. And if I can reduce sexual shame or just if I can reduce any kind of shame in a person, then I'll have completed my goal. If I have created um, an ability for someone to have a greater sense of agency and clarity when they're making big decisions about their sexual and romantic journey or, you know, then, then I will have completed my goal. You know, I I just want people to be able to explore non-monogamy and have their yes be a true yes, Mm -hmm. a grounded centered place and, uh, and to be able to blossom and be authentic in all the ways that you know really is their right that so often gets squished yeah yeah I think this book will do that I think because it's written what's well, also it's written as far as I've been reading like not in a binary way either like I never not saw myself in any of the the vignettes that you share or how you how you talk about st- relationship structure um, which also feels very I'm always, I'm always on the edge of my seat of like, am I going to see that myself in this, in this narrative, or is is this going to speak to me in a way that is authentic to who I am? And the answer is yes. So um, that I really appreciated too. So I think it, it, it's powerful. It's a powerful book. Thank you. Uh, You know, for, for me, I, I would say that I'm omnisexual, but I've mostly dated men, you know, Uh, but I've had a lot of experiences with different people over the course of my life, but still, anyway, I purposely hired a developmental editor that is part of the LGBTQ community. Um, And I told her if there's any, you know, let me know if I sound like a dumbass ever, you know, like that's part of your job is to be kind of like my book dom and like, Mm -hmm. you know, to be bluntly honest, if you see anything in there where I, you know, seem insensitive or tone deaf or anything like that. So I did have a whole team where I said that to them, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and of course I was doing the best I could as well. And yeah. So thank you, thank you for that. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, for, I, I tried. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, an, I, I really appreciate the, the, like the teamwork aspect of like, here's something that I know that maybe I don't have the right lens for it. So I'm going to bring someone in who maybe has a more sharper lens to help, you know, like round out the experience. I think not, 
not all people do that. And so it's, um, I like, that's so nice to hear that that was your approach. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think especially these days, I mean, granted there's, there's pockets of the United States that are so asleep and are not growing, but the, the bubbles that I'm in are just growing every day. They're changing every freaking day. Mm-hmm. And so you do really need kind of a team around you to help you uh, be, to be on top of it as much as you can, you know? Mm-hmm. And for, that's sorry, I mean to cut you off. Oh, well, I was just going to say, you know, as I, even, even, even though I think I'm a super, I, most people don't know that I'm 53, but I am 53. So I purposely try and listen to a lot of podcasts and, and listen to a lot of people and watch shows that are more like 20, 30 year old or even teenager. Like I, I love the show generation. I can't believe it was canceled. I'm so upset about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I like try and watch uh, shows that or surround myself with people that have cutting edge thought um because that's that's the only way I'm gonna stay on top of things yeah for sure and it's uh yeah yeah things are changing so rapidly that it's it's important to stay up to date I when I when when people come to me for trainings when I say it's like you know, it's really better not for this, not to be a one-off it's like similar to how doctors and medical professionals and therapists, I'm, I think have to do like continuing education to stay up to date on what's, what are the new medications? What are the new things? I feel like that should be like a human law of <laughs> like, we should all be doing continuous education because, because things are changing so quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all you know, in all areas and in medical science, for sure, just, you know, teachers, if Mm -hmm. one thing, if I could wave my magic wand and and have uh, power to change a particular thing, one thing that I would change is that from the time you start school, wherever that is, preschool or whatever, there is a class that you take at least once a week that that, that teaches you many things over. And this is something you would take at least once a week from the time you're in kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. And in that class, you would learn, you'd learn about meditation and mindfulness. You'd under, you'd learn about different communities. You'd learn about how to be an anti-racist, you know, uh, all of that all the way to 12th grade. If that was the case, I think, you know, the the amount of school shootings that you would have, the bullying that you would have, I think it would dwindle to just a tiny percentage of what we have now. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I think I'm right there with you. It's like, okay, teach me how to balance a checkbook. Fine. But then also let's, well, I don't know if they do that anymore, but in fourth grade, I learned that. Um, But yeah, like, what it like how to be an empathetic person how to be a compassionate person what are your yeah yeah I think that's that's genius I wish you had a wand to do that (laughs) me too yeah yeah um I I, have you seen have you on a side note have you seen Kindy's anti-racist baby book um yes I have Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's actually very I mean I know it created this whole thing but I I I went ahead and I ordered it and I was looking through it. It's actually very cute. Mm-hmm. And just like this idea of like from the very get go, there was a podcast that I listened to and it was a, a couple who decided that they wanted to raise their baby from the very get go uh, without any kind of gender. Mm-hmm. They're like, we just want our child to be able to decide when they want to decide. And so they told their family and everybody they're like from the 
moment this baby comes into the world, no gender stuff. Mm-hmm. And the whole podcast is telling how, how hard that was, you know, they, they'd like, you know, be in the hospital room cuddling up and maybe the baby is in the other, that other room where I can't remember what it's called, where all the, the babies are. Mm-hmm. And the nurses would be like, we surprised you. And they'd put all kinds of colors around the baby that were specific to the, to the, to the sex, not the, you know, gender of the child, you know, and they just through that whole podcast, they talk about how hard it is. Yeah to just allow a child to, to, uh, discover their own gender. Mm-hmm. Was it, was it by chance, Dr. Kyle Myers? I don't think so. I can't remember if I find oh. it, out, I'll send you like a little email or on Instagram. I'll, I'll send you a link. I probably could find it, but it's, it was a great episode. Okay. Yeah. I, um, uh, I think it was the launch of season three of my podcast. I interviewed Dr. Kyle Myers who raised, uh, the, uh they, uh, and their husband uh, or their partner raised their child without a gender from the beginning. Raising Zoomer was like the um, Instagram page. Anyways, yes, it, and and they chronicle that in their book called Raising Them. So it is it is like a um, it's a it is something that I feel very strongly about that I have to sometimes keep under wraps. <laughs> but I do think that there's a lot of benefit to that. Yeah, I, I found out about it through Anne Hodder Ship. She's the one who does the EDSE sex education workshop. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's awesome about Anne Hodder Ship is that when you take a sex ed class, it is packed with social justice stuff. Even before mm-hmm. you take a class, there are these long lists of podcast episodes and stuff that's all about gender and all these other things. And it was one of the things that was listed. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. If you, uh, Send me a, a DM about with it. I'd love to to know what it was. Yeah, I can find it. I can figure it out. Okay, thanks. All right. So I hate to do this, but I have to move us into the lightning round of very fun, lighthearted questions. Um, so just answer as quickly as possible. You can also pass. Um, so if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Open Deeply Red. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite time of day? Um... I think when I can really connect with nature and go out on my porch and connect with the hummingbirds and the, my kitty cats and all that. Nice. Okay. Favorite current queer media representation. Probably a Hmm. Yes, they are incredible. Um, a song that makes your heart sore. Oh gosh. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of this, this. Oh, I can't. Maybe, you know, any song from Hair, the soundtrack Hair, um, I don't know, choose your song on the soundtrack Hair, like the whole, the whole album. That's the first music I remember as a child. Mm, awesome. Favorite beverage? Right now is kombucha. Mm. I'm in a kombucha phase. Nice. Favorite quote? Um, let's see. I, I would say one of my favorite co- quotes is Rumi. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Mm. Wow. I have to think about, I'm going to marinate on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I could have a whole conversation about that one. Yeah. Part two. Um, yeah. okay. And bagels or donuts? Definitely bagels. Okay. That's the right answer. <laughs> there are no wrong answers, but that's the right answer. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, donuts are yummy, but they're just too sweet and yeah, they go right to my stomach. So I just can't go there. <laughs> Got it. Well, Kate, this was such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you for having me and thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. You're, you're a gift and you're helping so many people and, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for coming out. Thank you for having me come out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming out.